0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, December 14th. I'm Kate Trinko.
1: And I'm Daniel Davis. Well, if there's one thing that catches the left off guard, it's that people don't fit into neat boxes and that race and gender are not definitive of one's political views. Today, our colleague Jenny Montalbano sits down with a female small business owner whose family lived under socialism in Cuba. Let's just say she's not a socialist. Plus, Kelsey Harkness and Bree Payton join the discussion to talk about the latest problems with the Women's March.
0: But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines.
1: Well, president Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, is headed to jail, and the president is now publicly distancing himself from the actions that Cohen took. A day after Cohen was sentenced to three years behind bars, Trump tweeted, quote, he was a lawyer and he is supposed to know the law. It is called advice of counsel, and a lawyer has great liability if a mistake is made. That is why they get paid, End quote. The controversy stems from alleged hush money payments given to two women who claim to have had affairs with Trump. The president didn't explicitly deny ordering the payments, but he did say that they were legal. And that was also the conclusion reached by heritage legal expert Hans von Spakovsky, who argued this week in a Daily Signal piece that the payments did not constitute a campaign finance violation. And he draws an interesting comparison to hush money payments made during John Edwards' presidential run back in 2004, and those payments were not ruled illegal. And, notably, the president himself cited the article on Fox News. Every lawyer,
2: look... Trump didn't violate campaign finance laws, and neither did the president. Trump ex-aid. So they're saying that— Oh, wait. I interviewed him on
0: my program the other day. That's Han von Sposkowski, yes. A good day
1: for Hans. He's very happy.
0: (laughs) That he is. Were former FBI officials Lisa Page and Peter Strzok biased during their time involved in the Mueller probe? We'll never know. Or at least if they continue to exchange problematic texts, we'll never know what they actually said. A report out Thursday from the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz said due to phone resets, there was no way to get whatever messages Page and Strzok texted during that time period.
1: Well, an alleged Russian agent has pleaded guilty in U.S. court to charges related to election meddling. A 30-year-old Russian woman, Maria Butina, admitted on Thursday that she, along with an American, conspired with and acted under the direction of the Russian government to establish unofficial lines of communication with people who could influence American politics ahead of the 2016 election. As part of her plea deal, she's agreed to cooperate with the U.S. government, and she is the first Russian to be convicted of trying to influence U.S. politics before an election took place.
0: Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said on the Senate floor Thursday he's in no mood for compromising on the wall. Quote, I want to be crystal clear, there will be no additional appropriations to pay for the border wall. It's done. So, shut down, here we come.
1: Well, National Security Advisor John Bolton spoke at the Heritage Foundation on Thursday about the need to push back on Russian and Chinese influence in Africa. He said that China and Russia are, quote, deliberately and aggressively targeting their investments in the region to gain a competitive advantage over the United States, end quote. And part of the pattern is for China to get African countries into their debt and then use that debt as leverage to take over local enterprises and military bases. Meanwhile, Russia is also heavily engaged. Here's what he said.
2: Across the continent, Russia advances its political and economic relationships with little regard to the rule of law or accountable and transparent governance. It continues to sell arms and energy In exchange for votes at the United Nations, votes that keep strong men in power, undermine peace and security, and run counter to the best interest of the African people. Russia also continues to extract natural resources from the region for its own benefit. In short, the predatory practices pursued by China and Russia stunt economic growth in Africa, threaten the financial independence of African nations, inhibit opportunities for U.S. investment, interfere with U.S. military operations, and pose a significant threat to U.S. national security interests.
0: Well, don't look for a photo of CNN's Jim Acosta and let's say President Trump, posing merrily by a Christmas tree this year. Fox News reports that the White House is not hosting the traditional press party where reporters would get the run of the White House And a chance for a photo op with the president and the first lady. Last year, the Trumps skipped the photos but did have a party, and the president spoke briefly. But this year, it's no go. Well,
1: up next, our problematic women discuss the Women's March.
0: Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. Each Tuesday in The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny Maltabano. Welcome to another edition of Problematic Women. Today, we're covering drama going down inside the Women's March, the feminist life making women miserable, Nancy Pelosi's coat, and we finally decide, is Ted Cruz's beard hot or not? I also spoke with a Hispanic conservative business owner, Ali Brito, who most definitely identifies as a problematic woman. Joining me is Kelsey Harkness of The Daily Signal and Bree Payton of The Federalist. Thanks for being here, guys.
4: Of course. Thanks so much Happy for having Happy to be us. here. Always fun doing the show.
3: It is, and we have a lot to talk about today. Surprise, surprise, the Women's March again. Is it crumbling on itself? So there was an expose in Tablet magazine, and it revealed a shocking level of anti-Semitism baked into the Women's March and its founding. So um, Mercy Morganfield is quoted as saying they refused to even put anti-Semitism in. In the Unity Principles. Now, she was a former spokesperson for the Women's March. Conservatives, including both of you, Kelsey and Brie, have talked about this for a while now, noting that's a huge problem. Um, the expose also revealed some pretty sketchy details about the Women's March's finances, including some allegations that the national organization didn't disperse any of the millions of dollars they received to local chapters doing the hard work. Where to start, Kelsey?
5: Where to start is the question. I guess the place I would start is by saying, we told you so. We have been voicing these concerns about anti-Semitism inside the Women's March since its founding. Um, And, you know, I guess we, you know, a lot of, you know, us who have been covering the issue feel um, our concerns have been legitimized because so often as most of our listeners, I'm sure, know by now. Conservatives can raise concern about intolerance that's happening over on the left, but the mainstream media doesn't really care. They don't really listen to us. They don't really take our concerns seriously. This was, I believe, a 10,000-word expose. It was a long article in Tablet Magazine, but they did a really good job getting into the weeds of what is going on here. And basically, they detail one of the very first meetings um, for the Women's March uh, and and how it was it started with a group of white women. And then they realized, well, we, we, we need um, a more diverse leadership. So they brought in the founders that, um, you know, we're all familiar with now, Tamika Mallory, Linda Sarsour um, and others. And they basically said, we're not going to come on board unless we have a leadership position. It's really interesting to me because I remember reaching out and having conversations with the women's march um right when you know it it first was bubbling up it wasn't even a big thing yet. Um I was curious if they were going to include views of conservative women there are a lot of um, of course there are a lot of never trumpers at the time um, and there are a lot of pro-life women who wanted to be a part of it um and i wanted to know if they were going to be welcomed and um you know reading through this article i saw some of these old names that i remembered reaching out to um via my you know my press contacts. And then all of a sudden these names just went dark. I never saw them again. and once the new leadership turned over, I could never get responses from the women's March. they wouldn't work for me. And so I guess I had a weird personal experience where um, maybe early on the women's March uh, started with good intentions and some of those women who were um, originally a part of its founding, um, you know, from this story, we, we've learned they basically were uh, kicked to the side um, and maybe we would have all been better off had they been there because it seems like they were much more open to working um, with a, a, a diverse coalition of women. Um, basically, my big takeaway from this article is that the movement got hijacked and some very sketchy, sketchy things are going down with its finances, including the, you know, that's a pretty big allegation that, um, of course, when Donald Trump became president, so many people donated to the Women's March. They brought in millions of dollars, and not a single penny of those donations actually made its way to any of the local chapters to actually help organize these marches. That is mind-boggling. Yeah, absolutely. And
4: I think we should talk about the, disastrous uh, PR attempts to try to quench the fires and do some damage control that has come from Megaphone Strategies, which is the Women's March is one of their uh, most prominent clients. Okay, so after a bunch of reporters started sharing this Tablet Magazine article um, that came out earlier this week, a bunch of reporters, including several reporters over at The Federalist, got this super weird email um, from this person named Inaro Mal- Uh, Melendez of Megaphone Strategies that sent this email being like, hey, just so you know, and I'm loosely paraphrasing here, um, we sent a list of factual errors over to Tablet Magazine, and they're in the process of um, issuing a correction on the story. In order to get a list of these corrections, first, you have to agree to the following terms, okay? So it said, you know, before we share the fact check, can you, and I'm quoting here, can you confirm that what I'm sending you is off the record and will not be published? And then if you're interested in publishing any part of the fact checks below, will you agree to contact us first to secure our agreement? And then will you let us know if you intend to delete your tweet, pushing an article that includes sources slash allegations, which were not vetted properly and in line with journalistic ethics? Once I receive your reply, I'll send over the corrections.
5: (sighs) So I, I received that email. A lot of people got it. <laughs> and Kelsey, you tweeted about it. Yeah, it was my I mean, I I've mean, never, Kelsey, have
4: you ever gotten an email like this from someone before no, ever in I, your
5: life? And I think that's important to note, because those of us in the industry, this email clearly raises so many red flags. But for people who don't do this for a living, they might not know how uh you know, organizations and and PR firms go about contacting. But to basically, I mean, I I took this email as a threat. And um, what I found really weird, I mean, among the many things, but the, the question, can you confirm what I am sending you is off the record and will not be published? So you're emailing me about a list of fact checks that you want us to incorporate into our reporting somehow. But then I have to confirm to you that what you send to me is off the record and will not be published. That was very a very strange way to start the email. Yeah. But that was just one of the many concerns about it.
4: Yeah, 100%. And then the part where it's like before you publish anything, could circle back to see if it's, you know, if we're going to give you permission to do this on or off the record. Like, OK, you need to s- establish that in the beginning. Right. And obviously, sometimes with sources that maybe are new to, you know, just a kind of everyday people that you're working with, sometimes working them a little bit to to fully understand that and make sure that they're on board with you about that. Okay, you know, that's that's a different kind of scenario. But we're dealing with a very, very public organization. It's completely absurd to give a list of things that are off the record and then say, oh, we're gonna let you publish certain aspects of them, but only if you come to us asking for permission. And by the way, let us know if you're gonna delete your tweets. Like Okay, my tweets are none of their business, right? As a reporter, that's none of your business. Um, You can come to me or not come to me. You can decide if you're going to speak on the record or off the record, but don't do this weird list of demands in order to give me this secret list of supposed corrections. Like, it's completely absurd and totally backfired because a bunch of reporters ended up tweeting, screen grabbing and tweeting out the email and just, like, mocking them, um, which they deserve.
5: Right, and I think it's actually a sign of you know how much the women's march is in trouble it's absolutely the organization is crumbling oh. it's eating itself yeah i mean this was a huge embarrassment um and brie i'll let you go but i think the last thing i want to say on about this whole fiasco that happened this week is that um it seems like the girl uh i, I believe her name was morgan who um was quoted on the record in tablet magazine um She (laughs) that she ended this she ended they ended the story with her hope that this whole history of anti-Semitism being baked into the founding of the Women's March would just be a blip on the movement. And that really rubbed me the wrong way, because anti-Semitism is not a blip in history. It never is like it needs to be a much bigger deal than just a little blip. Um, And so the way they treat it, I think, you know, if this were any other type of racism, I don't think anyone would be using the word blip to describe it.
4: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And also, I don't know if you guys saw this, but last night, um, Tamika Mallory, Linda Sarsour, and I forget the other girl's name, they actually shared a minute-long video on their Facebook page last night responding to all of this backlash. And it's honestly super bizarre. They're in like a hotel um, hallway, And they're all standing close together and taking like a selfie kind of a style video. And they're like, um, you know, we don't appreciate these individuals. And they named some of the people quoted in the Tablet Magazine article, basically going around talking behind our backs. We want to keep this conversation in public. So we challenge you to bring your allegations to us. And it's like, what? That's like, what they did. It, the burden is on <laughs> you to if you're if you don't like what has been reported, like you need to explain and dismiss the things that are not true. Right. And we were talking about this internally over at the Federalists, and um Sean Davis, our co-founder, was like, all that they had to do in all of this was just, you know, disown Liz Farrakhan, say that anti-Semitism is bad. That those are literally the only two things that they needed to do and purge people who were unwilling to do that. That was it. And they're not they still are unable and unwilling to do that. And that speaks volumes um, about, you know, the legitimacy and the, the validity of the Tablet Magazine article.
3: Well, from the start, it certainly hasn't been handled correctly. It goes against so many best practices. And like Kelsey said earlier, when you're doing that repeatedly it just keeps raising red flags so of course it's blowing up to a huge story yet again about the women's march but speaking of the federalist joy pullman wrote an article called the feminist life script has made many women miserable don't let it sucker you and in the article she writes about how her unplanned pregnancy taught her to cast aside the messaging that you always hear from feminists and it allowed her to focus on what she says is truly important in life what did y'all make about that
5: I loved this article. I, I, I've I known Joy for a couple of years now, and I find it so refreshing for men and women whose job is journalism. You know, they do this day in and day out. And, you know, there are, once in a while, a story becomes personal. And I think those are the stories that really, uh, I guess, resonate with with me, um, resonate with a lot of people. And so she used her personal experience to say... Um, and. You know, I I felt like I maybe identified with it. There's so much pressure for women who um, want to make it in their careers to put off having babies, um, raising a family because they worry that it will hold them back. And what Joy says is this is the result of the feminist script. So she was married at the time, but she found herself in the situation of a very unplanned pregnancy. And her initial reaction was um, very negative, that this was going to be a burden on her life, that it's going to hold her back. And what she can now say, looking back at that a couple years later, a couple more babies Mm -hmm. later, um, is is how grateful she is that she did have that unplanned pregnancy and didn't put off um, having children until later in life, because uh, I think a lot of us have been noticing this trend of more and more. Uh, really sad articles percolating in the media about older women who have put their careers first and then realize at 40, you know, they want to start a family that, that they're not complete. They're missing something in life and it ends up being too late.
4: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so in this article, she quotes from a couple of other articles that have been circulating in the past couple of weeks, one from the cut um, In which, like, it was an advice column piece and someone wrote in basically saying, like, I'm 35 years old and I have nothing to show for my life. I didn't, you know, settle down. I didn't uh, start a family. I've just been moving every couple of years from town to town. And in a job that, you know, I liked at one point, but I'm kind of getting burned out and doesn't pay that well. I have a bunch of debt. Like, basically, I have nothing to show for my life. And, I mean, well, of course, that's not true, right? You always have something to show for your life. Um, that feeling or that attitude or that perspective that sometimes we can all get trapped in. I mean, it's really sad that this person is trapped in that um, and is experiencing it. I mean, overall, I really appreciated what joy had to say. um, But it, I don't know, I guess all of these discussions that we've been having those articles, her article a little bit, just kind of made me sad overall. Like, I think that this problem that is unique to women is a little, I mean, let's face it, we have extra challenges in our lives that men don't, right? Involving pretty much everything from start to finish of our lives. And this challenge of how do you balance a career and, you know, accomplishments in the professional world while also having a strong family and having strong family connections and having a purpose in a lot of aspects of your life, not just one, that's something that's a lot more difficult for women to have to deal with than men. And Kelsey, you and I have talked about this. I mean, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm 26 years old. I feel like I'm on a race right now where I have to get as far ahead as I can get in my professional career before. And I'm not putting off having kids or anything like that, but I have to do all this stuff before I have kids. So that way it's easier for me to like negotiate leave and negotiate part-time arrangements to take care of my kids. Like overall, I don't know, the demands of it are just seem overwhelming, but at the same time, um, I just finished, okay, this is probably a little dramatic and I'll I'll quickly finish up my thoughts, but I just finished reading through Man's Search for Meaning and right now I'm reading through Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. And, you know, I mean, both of those books have kind of helped give me a better perspective, which is that difficulty, hardships, struggles, and these type of things, this is what give our lives meaning, right? So uh, this special, unique problem in air quotes that we have as women I mean it sucks looking at it from far away like I don't know how I'm going to deal with this but I mean rising to the occasion and completing those goals and hitting those milestones and balancing everything that is what gives us meaning
3: well and I think the more we can talk about it the better it is for all women no matter how strongly you might or might not feel about it we need to keep having those discussions yeah joy
5: ends her piece with some advice uh, quote, women need and deserve their own life script, one that suits us. In order to develop one, we need to know and be told the truth about what makes women happy, what women overwhelmingly want in life, and the biological constraints of achieving our dreams. I think what she's getting to is the balance between biological reality, but also being open and honest about the fact that a lot of women in this country want children, and the feminist script telling you to put that off because you have to put your career first um, can end up being very hurtful in many ways, as um, we've been reading about more and more, it seems, in the news.
3: Certainly a very interesting piece, and that takes a lot of guts to publish something that that personal. Okay, before I let you two go, we have a special edition of Hot or Not. Let's start with Ted Cruz's beard. Kelsey.
5: I'm gonna say hot.
4: Oh, I said hot too. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm outnumbered on this. This is like objectively gross. Objectively, <laughs> so our bad. Our producers, and Lauren is giving, too. three to one. Yeah. Okay. So Lauren is giving. Wait, you think it's hot? Oh my <laughs> gosh, Lauren thinks it's hot too. I can't even believe this. No, it's the worst
5: thing I've ever seen. It makes him more relatable.
4: No, it doesn't. It just. Oh. <laughs> I'm like trying not to squirm in my chair, but I can't help it. I think it's the worst thing I've ever seen.
3: Wow. Full stop. Very strong opinion. Okay. All right. Next up, maybe we'll have some more unity on this. Nancy Pelosi's jacket inspired all of those memes when she walked out of the West Wing with Chuck Schumer. Max Mara is take. they're bringing the coat back. So they stopped making it in 2013, but because of all this popularity, it's coming on back. Hot
5: or not? Hot. It's burnt orange. Do you think that has anything to do with President Trump? was that I, I would say only Melania would would be that good at trolling to actually like plan that far in advance.
4: Yeah, I don't know that it was. But this is definitely one of her colors. It goes well with her skin tone. It goes well with her hair. I think the cut
5: of the coat is awesome. I like it. I like it, but it was It's not groundbreaking. It, and it was going viral as if it was groundbreaking, yeah, but the reality not. is yeah, it's a nice Pretty basic yeah. winter coat. I actually have one just like it, except it's a little more of a bright orange. I get compliments all the time. And I think the big takeaway from this is that colored winter coats are awesome. And you'll always get compliments when you wear them. So go out and find yourself a colored winter coat for Christmas. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Okay. That's a good note to end it on. Kelsey, Bree.
3: thank you so much. <laughs> Next up, my one-on-one interview with Ali Brito.
2: Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right. And if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideals and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today.
3: Well, on today's Problematic Women, I'm joined by Ali Brito. Allie, thank you for joining us. Thank We're you for excited having me. To have you. Now, you are Latina, you are conservative, you're a businesswoman. Do you think you would identify as a problematic woman?
6: I absolutely <laughs> would.
3: <laughs> well, I want to start with what led you to starting your own business and what that experience was like.
6: I think that um, freedom has always been part of my vocabulary. I think that, you know, along with that, there's always been some sort of stigma that to have freedom and to to have your own business and, you know, all of these things in one, you can't have your family and your your foundation and your base. And I just, you know, didn't like that answer. I didn't like that theory. I didn't like that concept. So um, I think that that's, you know, really like the, the passion of being who I am and, and the creative person that I am and also, you know, allowing you know, my family and everything to be to be a part of that. So I, I, you know, and and to show my family that it's all possible.
3: Absolutely. How did you first get interested in politics? When we were talking before, you mentioned, I believe, your grandfather was in politics
6: in Cuba. Yeah. So my grandfather was I mean, as a little girl, the number one thing I remember was just him, you know, listening to the Cuban radio and, and, you know, he came to the United States you know, fled a communist country, came here, worked hard as a bartender, mm-hmm. then went on to own his own business. I mean, the, the real American dream. And, you know, he always put a major emphasis on how family was the most important, but then our country was something that mm-hmm. had to go hand in hand with that. How are we going to protect our family from, you know, everything that's going on, you know, and, and, and not care about our country, you know? The country was extremely important to him, and he put that major emphasis.
3: So, how does it make you feel when you see studies today that show that youth in America they love socialism? They think it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs>
6: what do I they I don't think they understand it. I don't think that they they can't possibly understand it. Take them to a socialist country, take them to a communist country, because that's you know the direction it leads to. Take them to that and show them. How it starts. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. We all share. We pitch in. It's, it's you know, it, it's painted um, with amazing propaganda. But to actually live in that, um, you, you get every freedom stripped away from you. And you don't realize it.
3: I know. I, I agree with you. They all need to go over to communist countries like Venezuela for a week or so and really take it in. You know, which political issues are most important to
6: you? Which political issues are most important to me? Well, I have two children. So, you know, for me, the safety, uh, you know, their safety is extremely important to me. Um, So, you know, the the safety of this country and, you know, education and where that's going, um, you know, and, and the mentality that I think, you know, the role models that are in front of them were not the conservative side. I don't think has a lot of representation where they should um, and I, it just worries me because I really think that they need to, to understand what a base and a foundation is. And with the liberal mentality or views, it's almost like you don't need that. It's a free-for-all, and mm-hmm. it's not. You know, without a base and foundation, you kind, it, it just breaks. And I worry that my kids are not going to have that. So, you know, to circle back to the to the, answer, to the question— You know, I want them to be safe. I want them to feel that um, we're a strong country and that, um, you know, hard work is what pushes us forward, not sets us back.
3: Well, as conservative women, we're in a bit of a unique group, I would say, a unique club. I know you've written a little bit about feminism and some of the hypocrisy there. Can you talk about that?
6: I I think I wrote an op-ed, correct, (laughs) about, you know, the first lady especially. Yes. I think that the way the media treats her is completely disrespectful. Um, It's unfair completely. So I just, you know, we need to have more, um, we have to have more of a presence. And, you know, on, on the side of being Latin, being a woman, I'm not sure why liberals have taken that and the diversity card and have kind of run with it, where there's a whole other side that you know is conservative is latina is very much about women empowerment And it's almost like the liberals have just completely hijacked that. And it's just not the case.
3: Well, and it's so disappointing to see how the media treats her. For example, when she's doing great work. I know you just got back from the White House and you saw her famous
6: red trees. It was absolutely beautiful. Everything. I mean, you know, the, the, the touches, the details. Yes, absolutely.
3: Well, and you mentioned having good role models. Are there any women in the conservative movement who you admire?
6: Well, I think that, you know, currently... I can tell you, as as a little girl growing up, I would not of, I, I did not, you know, relate to who my role models would have been or what society would want them to be, which were Barbara Bush or, um, you know, Hillary Clinton, not because of anything bad, but you know, the age gap, they weren't relatable to me. As far as Melania, Melania, if she was my first lady growing up, or I would have been much. I would have related much more to her. I would have, you know, looked at her more as a mentor.
3: It seems like she's in a position to really do a lot of good if people will just give her the
6: chance. Exactly.
3: Um, well, that's very interesting. I want, I want to also ask you about your views on President Trump. How do you think he's doing so far in his first term? The media always you know, portrays one thing, but it seems like something else is going on. What's, what's your
6: take? Well, as a business owner, I mean, my whole thing is taxes. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm dealing with that now. And I just, you know, I, I feel like, you know, our country is confident because our economy is doing well, but they're not giving the president credit. Like, why is this, you know, why why are we doing well? Why do things seem to be moving along? Well, I mean, our leader is leading the way. So um, I voted for Trump and I'll vote for him again. And I, you know there's nothing else I can say and I you know I, I don't think I should you know feel be judged for it or you know it's just how I feel right
3: I want to ask you one more question and I want to circle back to the beginning why do you think it's so problematic to be a conservative woman?
6: why hmm. I think that we're misunderstood and and what I told you earlier how I believe the Liberals have completely hijacked, what it means to be um, diverse, conservative, feminist, um, all of these things. I just I believe that we're just completely misunderstood and, and we're not given the voice because it's just been taken away from us. Well, that's why we need people like
3: you to keep speaking out and getting involved in politics. So I want to thank you so much for coming on Problematic Women this week. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
1: We're going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation.
0: Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, which yes, Apple owns, Google Play or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback.
1: Rob and Jenny will be with you on Monday.